Insert Shakira theme. Yeah. Oh, oh, that, that better not be beer. You know there's no beer allowed for this World Cup. This is a silent protest to uh, Qatar pulling out the beer rug from underneath all the fans that had already gotten there? Yep. <laughs> Unbelievable. The nerve that they have. So maybe we should just call this Popping a Pint podcast. Yeah. Play with the alliteration, you know? Maybe, um, maybe Budweiser will be our first sponsor. <laughs> that would be ideal. Well, no. <laughs> I what do we really need to go for here? I would go for uh, cur- cur- a little bit of Kerr's light. I wouldn't mind some free cases of Kerr's showing up at the house. So, Listen, if we get big enough to have a sponsor. What are you talking about? We already have a sponsor. If we get big enough to have a second sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> So, today we are on the eve of the World Cup. This is the World Cup 2022 podcast, yeah, because we can't think of a better name. It might become the Popping a Pint podcast, we'll see, depending on sponsorships incoming. Uh, so, we're on the eve of the World Cup. We have less than, well, right around 12, 13 hours till the first kickoff. We're recording this the night before. Uh, the first game, of course, Qatar, Ecuador. We are going to be going to uh, Doha in spirit, not in, in person, unfortunately. Um, but we get to have our beer at home, which is really the really the best thing. So, uh, for those of you that don't know, Qatar had agreed to serve alcohol at venues, and then yesterday announced that they will not be doing that. So. Luckily, Ireland is not in the World Cup. I guess that's. A huge relief for them. Yeah, what a what a relief. Yeah. Wow, it's a, it's a shocker. So, my name's Josh. What's your name, Owen? My name is Owen. Thanks, Josh. You're welcome. Man. So we are both uh, we're both parents and lovers of soccer, and uh, just decided after getting about a thousand questions on a regular basis about uh, how the World Cup is formatted and what people do and who plays in it and everything else i just decided that i would record my voice explaining all of it and uh and kind of go from there so josh and i are gonna have some fun with it i i'm i'm a newcastle fan big premier league fan uh josh unfortunately i'll I'll allow him to share his allegiances Uh, i say that only to to let you know that there are some biases that exist in opinions around certain players so i just understand that going into it yeah i'm a liverpool fan and that's a big spider crawling across the floor to me um, but Jordan Henderson, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a Liverpool fan. So those biases will shine through. I'm sure will not impact my opinions whatsoever. <clears throat> All right. So the biggest question that I've gotten is the tournament format. How are things decided who shows up and why? And so I'm going to kind of go through a couple of different, uh, it's just the qualification scenarios essentially. So, the World Cup has 32 total teams uh, that, that qualify for it. And uh, FIFA, the, the governing body of, of soccer, essentially, but of the World Cup, is broken up to a, a, it's broken into several different regions. Uh, so broken into CONCACAF, which is North Central America. And from that region, you have three or four total qualifiers. We'll get into kind of why you would have three or four. Uh, but 34 total nations vying for three or four slots. That's you between North and Central America, Owen? That's between North and Central America, yeah. Hmm. 34 nations. Who knew? Who knew, right? So then you have, yeah, because you have, you have uh, Arkansas, Georgia, Tennessee, Texas, must count as several countries. I think so. <laughs> So, North America, three or four total qualifiers, depending on uh, how their points total shakes out, as well as how the qualification goes on other continents. You then have UEFA. This is the largest qualifying group, so 55 total entries, 55 individual, not nations we won't call them, because some of these are uh, principalities in some cases that, that also have teams that they enter into the qualification pools, but you have 13 slots from 55 total entries coming out of UEFA, by far the largest pool. 
Uh, and and there's good reason for that. Uh, we know that the best soccer in the world is played in Europe. The you know all of the top five leagues and their feeders, for the most part, exist in Europe. So uh, I don't I don't have too many qualms about that. Uh, Oceania or Australia, there's only three countries down there, uh, so they they get zero or one slots. So they have to go through a playoff no matter how things go, and their playoffs are done against. Uh, against Asian countries. So, uh, you know, whoever falls in that final Asian slot is, is typically in a playoff uh, with, with the Australian continent or subcontinent. And this year, the qualifier from there is Australia. So uh, New Zealand did not make it, unfortunately. Would love to have some Kiwis there, but we're not going to see them this year. Uh, CAF, or Africa, has five from 54 total entries. So five nations, no matter what. There's no playoffs. They get five nations. And again, some of the best players in the world have, have come out of the African continent. I'm not even going to try to say the Kanamebal, Kanamebal, it's South America. Uh, and they have four or five. So that's where you get into the three or four for North America, four or five for South America. But there are only 10 nations that uh, have entered in for qualification off of that continent. So that shows you... Uh, again, similar to Europe, just the level of quality that exists when you have 40% of your countries, potentially 50% of your countries uh, qualifying for the World Cup. And then finally, Asia. So 40 total team entries, 40 nations, uh, and they have either 4 plus 1 or 5 plus 1, kind of depending on that that, that Australian subcontinent. Uh, and and that all that qualification wasn't fully fleshed out until June 14th of this year. So you can imagine trying to book hotels in a World Cup city in June. It's probably a little bit difficult for some of these late qualifiers. Uh, but, yeah, they don't they don't flesh everything out until that point. All right. So, Owen, you're telling me that every country in the world, they've got soccer teams from from their best players in their country, and all of them play qualification games trying to earn qualification for the World Cup. You get three or four countries out of the North American continent. You get uh, four or five countries from the South American continent, five countries from the African continent, 13 from Europe, four or five from Asia, maybe one from the Australia region of the world. Um, And all of those countries play, play qualifying games and 32 make it into the actual World Cup. Correct. Yeah, so most of these teams will play between 10 and 15 games, sometimes up to 20 games if they've got to go through uh, an additional playoff qualifier like you would with Australia in some cases uh, or, or some of those Asian teams that are on the fringe. Awesome. So maybe a comparison to help people understand might be how every uh, – four years we have the summer olympics that come around and uh in the summer olympics is it the summer olympics they play basketball surely yeah you don't have to qualify for that though but yes the summer olympics um so basketball comes around and these countries they have their players that represent their country uh these players normally are most likely in the nba maybe in some uh european league or something but most likely nba players playing professional basketball, and then when the Olympics rolls around, they go and represent their country and um, play trying to play, trying to win this tournament um, for for their country that they're representing. Yeah, so that's that's the other question you get all the time, right? You get the question about, do these players only play for the U.S.? Or do they only play for England full-time? No, they're not like the professional skiers. Or oh man, squeaky chair. They're not like the professional skiers or or you know some of the athletes that are that play or swim for the U.S. Uh, Olympics. Uh, it's not like those people. They're they're going around and actually they have they've got day jobs just like NBA players, like you were saying. So they're you know they're playing for clubs, they're playing for teams. That's what they do most of the time, and they might get five, six, seven days together in different sections of the year, and that's it. Uh, but yeah, these are these are all pulled from from all over the world to to come back and play for their home countries. Yeah, I think for 
some of the Olympic stuff, they used to not have professionals, maybe in basketball. Um, they would pull like college kids basically, or, um, like amateurs, but I think that's certainly changed. Um, and the world cup has always been the best of the best, um, the best professionals, not, not amateurs just by any means. Yeah. Cool. So these 32 teams, uh, how is the format of the tournament for, for the teams that make it into the World Cup? Oh, gosh, it's a great. I'm so glad you asked that question, Josh, because that's just such a great question. You're welcome. Yeah, so 32 teams. And then 32 teams are divided into eight groups. So it's not groups one through eight. It's groups A through H. And so I had – I was doing some uh, some World Cup brackets with my kids today, and – uh my daughter said, well, group A, what is that? Because I was writing it on a whiteboard, and I said, it's group Elise. And she goes, oh, cool. And then I put group B. She said, what's that? So that's group Brentley, her brother. And then I put group C, and she goes, is that group cousin? I said, nah, I was just making that part up. But yes, it's A, B, C, <laughs> all the way through H. Uh, and so you're drawn randomly. And this is something that I've actually learned in the research process uh, that, that you and I were talking about a little bit earlier but the way that they break these teams up into the eight individual groups is really fascinating stuff. So I want I want you to talk a little bit about that because that's that's really cool. Sure, and we should clarify that these eight groups, um, each one has four teams in it, so they're right. all equally four teams per group. And what they do is they all thirty-two teams will get put into pots, and a pot is a group of eight teams. So there's pot one, we'll call it. It includes the host nation of the World Cup. So in this case, Qatar. Um, they're in pot one. And then the next uh, highest ranked teams, think like the next seven basically, um, will go into pot one. So those top teams plus the host nation are all going to be in a pot together. And they are not going to play each other. One team, um, I mean, uh, yeah, a team from pot one is going to go into each of those groups, group A, group B, group C, all the way through H. And then you've got pot two, and those are essentially the next eight highest ranked teams. And ranking, I believe all of that is done by FIFA, which we can talk about next, Owen. But the next top eight ranked teams are in pot two. One of them will go into group A, one into group B, and this part truly is random. Group C, group D, I say truly is. Um, Assuming no no corruption or anything is uh, <laughs> these not these. yeah pot three next that's like the next eight teams as far as ranking goes same thing for pot four and on down one uh, one team into each group from those pots so what you get in the end is a group looking like one team from the you know eight best in the world and then a second team from the next eight and a third team from the next eight and a fourth team from the next eight. So that means you probably won't have a group where you've got like, you know, three or four of the best teams in the world facing each other right away. Um, but it does mean that depending on how the rankings play out, you could have multiple teams from the same part of the world all facing each other. You could get some pretty big rivalries in the group stages. And um, great example of that is is in the U.S.'s group this year with England and Wales. That's a that's a huge internal rivalry within the same nation. So that's a, that's a really fun example of that. Yeah. And what will happen with these groups is there, um, these four teams per group will play each other one time and two of the teams will advance forward from each group. So of the 32 teams, every team will play three games and then 16 of those teams will advance forward the top two teams from each group. And then from there on out, it's a single elimination tournament bracket style with the remaining 16 teams. Um, Owen, I was wondering if you could uh, tell me a little bit about the FIFA rankings and how those are how those are determined. How do they decide who the best team in the world is? It's largely dependent on who writes the largest check. Uh... Based on, FIFA's recent, based on FIFA's recent history. And for those of you that couldn't see, Josh was in the middle of a sip, which is why I said that. I was hoping to uh, have everything in his living room drenched in, in a spit take. But 
So when you think about these pots, uh, so the number one ranked team in the world for the men's right now anyway, the U.S. retains that title for women's and and has for decades. Women's team is exceptional in the U.S. Go America. Go America. But right now the top ranked men's team in the world is Brazil. So when you think about that pot one, it's it's teams like Brazil and England and Belgium and France. Uh, And you then step down and and you say step down because group – the pot two included teams in this World Cup's draw like Germany, who's a recent victor in, in a World Cup. So, you know, step down is is still pretty relative uh, in in terms of how much quality you can have uh, in in a tournament. I think, you know, the big thing that I am not a fan of with FIFA rankings is it does feel a little bit subjective in some cases. Uh, you know, you have those teams that linger past the top 10 that don't regularly get to play other teams in the top 10 to, to kind of influence and impact their ranking. North American teams are a great example of that. You know, we're, pay, we're playing Mexico a ton. We're playing Canada, Jamaica, Costa Rica. A lot of those teams that are, that are kind of lingering in that 15 to 30 area, whereas England is going out and playing Italy and Germany in friendlies, right? So that's, that's impacting their ranking on a, on a regular basis. And teams like Brazil are going up against, you know, Peru might be pretty far down, but they're still a pretty darn good team. Uh, and they're playing Argentina and Colombia on, on a regular basis as well as Uruguay and other countries like that. So I have a little bit of a bone to pick there. Not a huge one. You know, ultimately, I think that North America getting four teams, my hope would be that it's five in in eight or ten years. Uh, we are going to have the advantage of being in pot one in four years as a host yeah. nation. It's big. Uh, going to be that's going to be a big deal uh so the fifa ranking won't matter as much because we're going to be uh, put in with all those top teams which is going to be a pretty cool thing hey i got a question yeah so we're not the only country hosting in four years um we're sharing that privilege with mexico and canada so yes. how are they going to determine are all three teams going to be host nations who go into pot one and automatically qualify for the world cup like qatar did this year you know, I I don't – all I can do is speak to recent history, and recent history suggests that, yes, all three will be in pot one. Uh, the only example we have, at least in our lifetime, of a split host tournament is South Korea-Japan. Yep. That was the 2002 tournament. They were both put into pot one, and it was their introduction to the international stage. Those teams were not regular attenders to world cups and certainly not regular performers. And both were exceptional, both topped their groups in that tournament, which was really cool. Uh, But that's the most recent example. That was two teams, not three. Uh, You know, how are they going to split it up? Not exactly sure yet. You know, do they say we'll put the teams that are hosting the most games in pot one, which would be the U S and Canada. I don't know. It depends on where our rankings are as well. So there, there's a couple of different factors there. Yeah. Yeah, something really interesting about the World Cup is it's every four years. So, you know, the team that won it four years ago might look very different uh, this World Cup because players age a lot in four years and new players come on the scene. Uh, you get players retiring. It's not like a lot of the sports we're used to watching where a team might do really well and – um, you expect to see a lot of the same players coming around the next season. So near impossible to, to repeat. Yeah. I mean, so you were telling me this earlier today, the, what's the history of, of former winners and World oh, Cups? Man. can I, can I spell it out? Cause it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> All right. So, um, we have a, a streak going on right now where the group that wins the world cup fails to qualify and I mean not fails to qualify but fails to get out of the group stages in the following World Cup. So, if we think about Germany who won the World Cup in 2014, so two World Cups ago, they did not make it out of their group stage in 2018. Um they finished behind Sweden and Mexico. And then if you go back a World Cup, Spain won the World Cup in 2010 and yep. then in 2014 they did not make it out of their group. The Netherlands and Chile finished above them. And then if you go back another World Cup, uh, if 2006, Italy won the World Cup. In 2010, they did not make it out of the group stages. Paraguay and Slovakia finished ahead of them. So, for this World Cup, France won in 2018. 
we'll see if the streak continues and France fails to make it out of their group, which I would be pretty shocked. Um, but I, I, was also, I was also pretty shocked when Germany didn't make it out of their group in, uh, in the last World Cup. So it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a streak that's going on. You have to go all the way back to Brazil, who won the World Cup in 2002 and also made it out of their group the following World Cup in 2006. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'll go ahead and make a bold prediction here. I don't know if we have a section for that yet, but I don't think France is going to make it out of that group, and I would not be shocked if France doesn't win a game. Man, that is bold. It's bold. <laughs> Very bold. Not be shocked. And we'll get into why in a little bit, but yeah, yeah I would not be shocked at all. I'm going to write that down so we can uh, revisit it. <laughs> Remind me in one month. Uh, all right, so we talked about the groups, eight groups, four teams apiece how they're drawn, how they're qualified for. Let's talk about points, how you get out of those groups, what is going to the next group look like, who do you play in the next group, is there any way to figure that out or map that, and kind of what the tiebreakers look like too. Because I know people like to pull up groups or brackets or whatever else and and kind of predict their way through them like we're dealing with March Madness or something. So uh, talk to us a little bit about how the point systems work and and how we progress through the tournament. Sure thing. So... For the group stage, where each team is going to play the other teams in the group one time, so that's three games for everyone, you will get points depending on how you do in each game. So if you win a game, you'll get three points. If the game ends in a tie, which uh, soccer gets a lot of a lot of heat for, um, but it can happen. If a, team, if a game ends in a tie, each team will get one point from that game. And the team that loses in a game will get zero points. So, if you're if you're keeping track three games, you could win all three of those, three points for each win, and you get nine points from your group. You would be the winner of your group, and you would automatically go forward. Uh, the worst you can do is zero points. And then, if we end up with a tie um, with two groups, or with two teams in a group having the same number of points... Um, between their wins and their draws, then we would use a tiebreaker of goal difference. Goal difference being the number of points you, number of goals you score through those games, minus the number of goals scored against you. Uh, if we need an example of that, let's say I win my first game 1-0, and then I win my second game 1-0, I'm at a plus 2 goal differential. If I win my third game 1-0, I'm at plus 3. If I get scored against, um, and lose that third game instead 1-0, I go from plus 2 down to plus 1. So that's how the goal differential works. So that'll settle any ties um, through the group stage. So there's one more layer to that tiebreaker, and that's, I I believe this is still how they do it, but if you are also tied on goal differential, which I think has only happened in one World Cup, it's so incredibly rare, you then would go to goals 4 as the next tiebreak. Yep. So the team that scored more goals would advance. Um, so if, I, if I'm if i winning all my games 2-0 and someone else is only winning them 1-0, I would have more goals for. Okay, so you talked about ties, right? Yep. So again, soccer gets heat for it. I guess I understand why I love living in the tension of the moment when it comes <laughs> to, to games that are so close where anybody could snatch a victory at a moment's notice and things aren't just put away for 10 minutes of the fourth quarter. As fun as that is to watch, it's really nice to bite your nails to the, to the final seconds. So talk to me a little bit about once we reach the knockout stages, uh, obviously can't tie at that point because you're talking about single eliminations. So what does it look like after that group stage? Uh, if, if we're all tied up at the end of 90. Sure. So, we uh, have these single elimination games. We're going to go head-to-head. Let's say it's the United States against the Netherlands, which is a possibility for this World Cup. It could happen uh, once we get through the group stages. When... I, think that's, I think that's the Vegas line. Like That's the most likely scenario, is that yeah. we come second, the Netherlands comes first, and we play them in the, in the round of 16. Yeah, so when, not if, the United States gets through uh, our group. We're going to win the group, though, so that's, that's where we're going to bust that bracket up. Sure. <laughs> um, but if we're playing the Netherlands, uh, we're going to play two halves of 45 minutes each, so 90 minutes of soccer. If we're tied at the end of that uh, regular time, 
we will do overtime, which is two 15-minute halves. And if it's still tied at the end of that, then we would go to a penalty shootout. So you could have a winner uh, in overtime if someone has has taken the lead and holds on through the end of overtime. You could have a winner. But if not, it's a penalty shootout where each team will um, send their players forward to take one kick, um, just them and the goalie. And I believe it's um, best of five. Is best of five the right way to put it? Um, probably not. Each team shoots five times, or and it's whoever's scores the most. Yeah. Yeah. So that's um, that's how a game will not end in a tie once we get through the group stage into the elimination rounds. Is we would eventually go to penalty shootouts to determine who the winner is. Gotcha. So penalty shootouts, five takers. What happens after that? Did you cover that part? If you get to five and everybody's made all theirs, or they both have only made two. Yeah, if, if if each team is is scoring all their goals, then they just keep going. They, they'll each team will take a sixth. So if it's still tied, let's say uh, both teams scored, then we go to a seventh. And if both teams missed and they're still tied, uh, we'd go to an eighth kicker. And you could you could keep going until you've gone through all eleven players, and you'd start over again, and you'd keep going. And it really goes um, that long, but. We saw a game earlier this year, right, where uh, it got to, like, 11-10. It was the best penalty (laughs) shootout I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I don't think you were even watching it live, and it was Chelsea-Liverpool. I was not watching it. Um, And Liverpool's goalie made the 11th penalty kick. Yep. And then Spain's starting goalie. Yep. Skied his eleventh penalty kick <laughs> after Batley. being dubbed the uh, and his name is actually Keepa, so like you have no excuse. Uh, but yeah, he's he's the penalty specialist. Didn't save one and skied his like he was uh, trying to Justin Tucker it to the moon. Yeah, kicked it out <laughs> of the stadium. Fun yeah. fact. So yeah, that that is how it will not end in a tie. They will just keep going until until one team has more goals than the other. So there was a, I believe it was the 2002 tournament. It was a tournament a while ago where they, they instituted or, or had for a little bit a kind of a golden goal rule. Do you remember this? Uh, I don't remember that. I know what golden goal is, though. I've, it's I've the seen golden goal games the rule. It's, it's the stupidest rule in the world. Uh, essentially, you go into overtime. Instead of two 15-minute halves, it's the first goal wins. Uh, so it gets a little bit... It does Americanize the sport slightly, so I'll, I'll give it that. It feels a little bit more like an NFL overtime. You know, you score the touchdown, you win the game, right? So mm-hmm. I think it does, it does do that some. I do remember in high school, actually, uh, we were in the semifinal for a tournament in high school. Okay. And they had announced that it was a golden goal, right? So we went to extra time. We scored a goal, and then we went up to the ref, and we're cheering, and our fans rush the field, and the ref goes, no, now we're playing silver goal. Silver goal? Silver goal is not a thing, by the way. Where was this game played? It was played, it was played, yeah, it was played in Nairobi, and so evidently refs can be bought there, and they were bought and paid. Uh, and so, you know, I've carried that as a little bit of a, of a frustration. I'm glad that FIFA's done away with the golden goal format. I think it's a, it's a stupid thing. Uh, so the, I will say, and I'd like your thoughts on this too, I will say the full 15 minutes of overtime, what you end up seeing, I think, in some cases, is you get a compromised final game like we did in the last World Cup with Croatia because Croatia played consecutive overtimes in, I think, all of their last three games. And so they just had no legs going into the final. And you're talking about players that are generational players that they were, they were playing the dark horse and you had people like Luka Modric, who's exceptional. He's not going to be the same player this tournament because he's 36, 37 now, mm-hmm. but he was, he was out there running his tail off for 120 minutes uh, covering an average of, I think I looked it up. I think it was like 16, 17, 18 miles a game uh, that this guy was running. And so we were talking about this uh, with the with the League Cup in England this year. They're, they're just going straight to penalties on some of these games and eliminating the overtime. And I don't hate that. I don't hate that. Puts a little bit more urgency in the 90 uh-huh. and, and you know, keeps legs fresher for later in the tournament. Yeah. I, um, 
I'll say that in situations where there has to be a winner, I kind of like Golden Goal. I think it's um, I think it's a little bit like the uh, NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, where there's just so much excitement when that when that goal is scored and um, like every shot, there's so much tension, there's so much pressure. It's fun to watch, um, and I felt like the same thing in soccer, uh, golden goal situations. And I do think there's one, you can get some really tired players, so that that's a tough part of it, um, especially in a tournament like this where it's a lot of games in a relatively short amount of time. Um, I will say, though, in situations with two overtimes, periods, and then uh, penalty kicks after with that, I think I see a lot of, you know, the last 10 or 15 minutes, basically that whole second overtime where players are just like not trying to score at all. They're just like, we're, we need to like <laughs> just make it to the penalty kicks. So yeah. it can get a little bit boring. Um, I think that's another downside of the format that we currently have. So I wouldn't mind seeing golden goal, but that's, uh, that's not how it's going to be. So I'll, I'll enjoy what I can see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe one day, maybe one day we'll get something that's as cool as college football overtime because we we should find a way to morph that into basically every sport. It's so fantastic. Yeah. It's so fantastic. So maybe it's like dribbling from half field against one defender and a goalie or so. I don't know. It'd be, <laughs> we'd, we'd come up with a couple different things, I'm sure. It's, uh-huh. uh, it would be it would be pretty fun. Yeah. Maybe like, right. you're allowed to start using your hands or something. Yes. Yes. Tack- full on tackle. No <laughs> cards anymore. You can go in studs up. Yeah. No matter. Take the man, not the ball. Uh, so the way that the round of 16 is also structured is that you are never, I think you might have covered this earlier, but just to clarify, you're never going to meet a team that was in your group again unless you meet them in the final. I so that's that. a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal for the U.S. this year because we won't, we won't see England unless we meet them in the final again. They're exceptional group of talent in terrible form right now, which I think is a good thing for us. Uh, but yeah, it, that's, that's kind of a nice thing as well. The way that the, the bracket is set this year. So, um, anything else to add for, uh, for kind of the tournament structure and, and how all the games play out? So we said single elimination. I guess the only other thing to add is that once you get to the semifinals, they do do a, third place playoff for the two teams that lose in the semifinals it's sort of uh i mean i guess the game matters but i think it's it just, doesn't matter at all it's stupid <laughs> it it's just ridiculous. adds it another away with yeah adds some I, in the last world cup you had two major players come out of that game with injuries it was, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world it should just be done away with if there's nothing left to play for then don't play for it i i i think it's stupid I think it should go burn with the golden goal rule in a very hot furnace somewhere. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my very measured opinion on it. Yeah. sounds measured. What's the name of that hot furnace? Does it have a name? <laughs> uh, so my father-in-law did, did a kiln firing this mm-hmm. uh, October. So whatever that place is called, it was hot. Got it. Yeah. You were thinking hell, not hell. I was thinking no. Gehenna, but that's fine. Oh, well, gotcha. Okay. All right. So now. Talk to me. <laughs> little prediction time. Ooh. All right. So who's your favorite to win that is not the U.S.? I'm just going to take them off the table because uh-huh. they're the best in the world. Best nation in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the beacon of freedom. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of victory. That's what I always say. So besides the U.S., Who's your favorite? My favorite, and uh, this is, I mean, say what you want about the pick or whatever because of, of how they're ranked, but it's Brazil. Excuse me, I will. It's Brazil, yeah. Yeah. What about you? Well, Brazil, I, I, I love it because I feel like if Brazil wins this tournament, they're going to win every game 5-3. to three. I mean, they're going to... Their defense is very old. I think the average age of their back line is like 35 or 36. Yeah, they're super old. <laughs> but they also brought nine forwards <laughs> in the squad. So yeah. nine forwards. Yeah, and some of those uh, are big names too. Like we've got a guy named Neymar. We've got a guy named Vinicius Jr. 
Never heard of him. Yeah, Gabriel Jesus. And then there's a. I, I noticed on the roster there's this um, Newcastle midfielder too. Who's that? Well, there's uh, the best player on their team by far, and this this is how their defense is going to be solidified and held together. You mean best it, outfield player? Go on. It, the, the best outfield player. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he's he's going to be more important to the squad than Allison because the ball is going to be in the opponent's final third for 85 of the 90 minutes. Oh yeah. Um, but Br- yeah, Bruno Gimaresh. I, I don't. I honestly don't think he's going to get the start, and it's a little bit unfortunate. Ah. Uh, Casemiro is t- way too entrenched in that team, which. I think kind of sucks, but it is just fascinating. That they brought nine forward players. Yeah. And they also recalled players that have been in like three or four world cups. So do the math every four years. I mean, these guys are, they're almost 40. Yeah. It's crazy. And one sad fact about that is they didn't call my guy, uh, Roberto Firmino, who yeah. is, um, Having a great season, really having a great season, but uh, missed out. Yeah, and I think the uh, I think one of the other parts with with the Brazilian team is even like two or three of their midfielders can technically play a front three. So mm-hmm. really, they brought ten or eleven forward players. So I like the pick because they're ranked number one. They're going to score a boatload of goals. Uh, I just hope that they can also defend. Uh, and if teams can actually absorb some of that pressure, then they they might become easy to beat. You know, it it might be yeah. a weird thing where they're easy to beat because their their defense is aged. Uh, my favorites to win, and this is just because of the incredible amount of talent they have in the front, but also a little bit more dispersed throughout the squad, especially the spine of it, is Argentina. Mm-hmm. I just this is going to be Messi's last tournament. He is not pulling a Cristiano Ronaldo and and yanking the spotlight from everybody. Uh, he is such an exceptional player. And I don't even think that he has to be on the field for 90 minutes, every match for Argentina to win. And that has been the difference maker. Uh, you know, I've heard people talk about Neymar. If he shows up, Brazil wins period the tournament. I feel the same way about Messi, but I don't think that he's quite as important as as Neymar even to uh, to the Argentinian squad because there's just so much talent throughout and they have people that are in very very good form scoring goals for their clubs so yeah I uh I mean Messi's like in my opinion the greatest footballer to ever live and super fun to watch I'm a big fan of Argentina unfortunately they've always uh, I want to say underperformed on a global scale it was just um, what two years ago that they won the um, what tournament am I thinking of? It's Copa America. Copa yeah, America, yeah. American Euros, essentially, right? Yeah. yeah. So huge tournament in South America. Um, Messi had never been able to win it in probably a decade of trying, and um, yeah. finally won it two years ago. Yeah. So you hope that's kind of the 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 turn of the corner, right? I would hope. You know? A I would hope so. I hope it doesn't uh, go back to that that pattern, but I think they can do really well. We'll see. I hope they do well. I hope they do too. All right, dark horse pick. Ooh. Who do you like to uh, Who do you like to pull a Croatia this year? You know, um, their nearby neighbors is who I ended up with. So for a dark horse pick uh, team to go really far into the tournament, I chose Serbia. God, I love that. They're I love right- that. They're ranked 21 in the world. Uh, they're in a group with Brazil, but also Switzerland and Cameroon. Switzerland will be tough. Uh, I don't think Cameroon will be too tough. But uh, I think they can get through it, and I think they can go far. Uh, one stat I read was they did not lose a game during all of their qualification. So I think there's a good chance they do well. What about you? They've got a mean streak, and they have scored a ton of goals. So you've got people like... Alexander Mitrovic, who you and I are both familiar with for different reasons, uh, <laughs> who's just mean, and he doesn't even have to start for them to score goals. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they can score all over the place, uh, and they just – I think that uh, they they sort of, in some respects, mirror Newcastle and their ability to just wind people up and piss them off. Uh, so that's, that's not a bad thing to have at a major tournament. Uh, you have a little bit of that cohesion and, and kind of family feel – with that mm-hmm. team that's, that's fun to watch. I, I love Serbia in this. So this, uh, 
how dark horse it is, I don't really know. They're they're pot two, almost pot three right now. They're almost always my dark horse candidate just because I love the players they produce very consistently is the Netherlands. Uh-huh. I love the Dutch. I love the Dutch. And I think if they can get goals from their front three, they always have very solid methodical midfield. This might be Virgil's final World Cup. Yeah. So you know he wants it and he's going to play hard for it. So their defense, you know, everything around him should be should be solidified pretty well. So that would be that would be my pick to go pretty far. Unfortunately, it means that it might be the U.S.'s casualties in the round of 16, but I yep. uh, still have to that group, and they knock out England instead. So that would be my dark horse. Another just quick shout is Canada. Everybody's underrating Canada. They did yep. not – they didn't lose a qualifying match for this World Cup, including a clean sweep of the U.S. It'd be, uh, it'd be fun to see them do well or name to the North. It's something. Yeah, they've got two exceptional talents that are performing very, very well in European soccer right now. Uh, if Alfonso Davies can be healthy, they kind of sky's the limit for them. So they they could be they could be really solid. What about uh what about Golden Boot? Or the most goals in this tournament? Good question. Man, I wrote down there's several players who I could pick for Golden Boot or even um, just like a standout. So you've got Lewandowski with Poland. You've got De Bruyne with um, Belgium. you got Vinicius Jr., who I actually think might have a better tournament than Neymar for Brazil. We'll see. Um, France with Mbappe. There's there's some great players out there. Um, it's tough to know who's going to show up. I think... I want to say Vinicius Jr. I mean, we already said Brazil are going to score a ton of goals. Um, I think I want to put it with him. He's just got unbelievable speed. Uh, it's pretty crazy. So uh, I think that's who I would probably put for a golden boot. Wow. What about player of the tournament? Oof. I think it's called the golden ball now. It's something weird like that. But yeah, player of the tournament. Yeah, I think I would expect a, a player like De Bruyne to just um, – just control games and and make everyone around him better. So De Bruyne with Belgium. Yep. Okay. All right. For me, Golden Boot. I'm going to say Harry. Uh, I think Harry Kane is going to stack up probably four or five goals in just the group stage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got some decent players on on the flanks for England. Phil Foden is is the first name that comes to mind, but. Harry's just always going to score. He's always going to score, and he's scoring a ton for Tottenham right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you score four or five in the group stage, it makes it a really tough race to catch up because then teams start dropping off, and you, know, you can only catch up if you're playing games. So uh, that becomes a, a harder equation for people once you get out of the group stage. So I, I like Harry Kane for Golden Boot. Player of the tournament, I'm going to go with Messi. I think Argentina is going to go pretty far. Uh, I think he might get it on name recognition alone if they make it to quarters or semifinals. Sure. It might just almost be like, uh, this is your last tournament. Here's a farewell present kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So so we'll see on that one. But yeah, I like I like Messi for, for player of the tournament. Yeah. Harry Kane's got to stay healthy. That's always been his uh, struggle, hasn't it? Yeah. But if he doesn't stay healthy, he has the best backup in the tournament. The second best striker in the entire tournament is his backup in Callum Wilson. So we should be just fine. If you're an England fan, nothing to worry about there. Uh, unfortunately, Callum Wilson's hamstrings are also made of string cheese. So you might only get 60 minutes out of him, but it'll, it'll probably be four or five goals. So uh, you'll be, you'll be fine there. So talking about uh great individual players, did you see the news today that uh, Kareem Benzema with France is doubtful for the tournament? He's definitely out of the opener game with an injury doubtful for the rest of the tournament he's just so clinical so clinical yeah unbelievable i i i I would put all of the money in the universe and i'm not a financial advisor but uh on france being awful this tournament yeah and i think it's that benzema that's like a nail in the coffin i hadn't heard about that yet but i just think for france that's one of those teams to watch because i think they're just going to be so incredibly disappointing yeah Uh, and 
and the big thing, their last victory was so incredibly uh, predicated on Conte and Pogba's form, who are their two central midfielders, their engine room people, the guys that are running all over the field, controlling tempo, controlling passing, and they're both missing the tournament. So you have a French midfield, two starters who are exceptional players and are going to be exceptional players for a decade in Chuameni and um, Kamavinga, both playing for Real Madrid. So they have some chemistry between them, which is great, but they're both 21 years old. Yeah. So there's no tournament experience there. They've been in the France squad for a very limited amount of time. And so I just don't know how the transition works from defense to Mbappe. I think that that's yeah. really where the issue is going to be for France. Have Not having Benzema out there, that poacher, is, that's a big deal. That's going to hurt. Yeah, Benzema was the uh, 2022 Ballon d'Or winner. Best player in the world uh, was the award he got. Maybe thankfully for them, uh, Giroud is his likely backup. Uh, Giroud is old, but he's also two goals away from Henri's record um, So of, of most goals. Uh I want to say Henri has like 51 goals for France or something. So Drew can score some. He's already surpassed Henri for the most handsome man in the world award. (laughs) Uh, So yes, yes. Olivier Drew is – don't let your wife Google him, I guess is the important thing. He's incredibly attractive. Very handsome man. Yeah. My daughters aren't allowed on the internet, so that's a a big reason. (laughs) Olivier Drew is the problem, right? Yeah. And speaking right. of hold on, speaking of big players not in the tournament, uh, Saudi Omane for Senegal. Oh, it hurts. Brutal. Yeah, I think he's good. I think he was going to carry that team if they were going anywhere in this tournament, and he's he's injured and out. So I don't see it happening for them. They, they've got some good players. I think Koulibaly is is good. One of the things that always strikes me with African teams, having you know grown up in Africa and watched a ton of you know, Africa Cup of Nations games and and gone to a lot of games in East Africa. There are not very many good African goalkeepers. Yep. And I think that that's a huge, huge problem for the Senegal squad. I saw some of the goals that were scored on them in the qualification time, and they were just inc- – like maybe you could have saved them. You know, they were just – they were absolute howlers. And so – I think that that's going to be a big, big problem if they get into games that are really tight where they're absorbing a lot of pressure against really solid possession-based teams like a Germany or a Belgium. That's just going to be a huge, huge problem when they're having to absorb 20 shots on goal. I went back and looked at some of the stats for the last World Cup that the U.S. was in. That Belgium game, you want to take a guess on how many shots were fired on goal in that in that 2-1 loss to Belgium? Ooh, 18. Over 40 shots. Jeez. <laughs> it's over 40 shots. So if you put Senegal in that situation, I just don't think that they can do what Tim Howard did. Oh. Tim Howard had like 25 saves that game. And that's always one thing that's been the shining beacon for U.S. soccer is we've produced exceptional keepers. So, you know, that's that's just a big, 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 big problem for, for Senegal. So, um, yeah, I'm just uh, – I, yeah, I think you're probably right. They have they have a good midfield too that that really could have helped Mane, but if he's not in there, I just they might not even get out of that group without him. So, yep, um, that's that's going to be tough. All right, Qatar, Ecuador. Uh, any thoughts on that? <laughs> uh, I mean, I hope Ecuador win. I hope Qatar get embarrassed, but um, that's that's for geopolitical reasons mostly. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, we're not talking about our game against Iran later in the tournament. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I also hope Qatar get absolutely embarrassed. The fact that they bought this tournament and, you know, I'm sorry if you're listening, the royal family of Qatar, but uh, you, you kind of bought this tournament. Um, not cool. So I hope they just get embarrassed, absolutely fleeced by every team that they play um, and, you know, get out of that group with zero points and a negative 13 goal differential. That would be my, my, my genuine hope. So I'm hoping Ecuador comes out and just pounds them three nail tomorrow. Uh, but <clears throat> yeah, we definitely don't want them to turn into South Korea and run to the semifinals as a, uh, as a new, <laughs> as a new entrant to, to world cup soccer. So 
yeah, definitely, definitely hoping for an Ecuador win tomorrow. Yeah. All right, so when are we going to be back, Josh? We're going to be back to debrief the Monday games, which is going to include a really good slate. Uh, that second game in Group A, which is going to be – who's that second game in Group A? Mm, Senegal, Netherlands. So the second group in Game A will debrief that. That's Senegal, Netherlands. And then the two two games in Group B – and those are really the groups that we want to keep an eye on just as, as U.S. fans because we play uh, – if, if we get out of this group in either first or second place, it's going to be first place we play second place in Group A, second place we play first place in Group A. So that's something we really want to keep an eye on. And so we'll, we'll debrief that second game, which is really the big one, the Netherlands and Senegal, because uh, those are the, the two favorites to get out of there. And then we'll also debrief U.S. versus Wales – um, and uh, the, you know the second game being England and Iran. So I think the, the U.S.-Wales game, I'll, I'll just say this real quick about the U.S. team. So we'll, we'll continue to talk through some of the different players and, and kind of their strengths and things like that. One of the big missing pieces that the U.S. will have in this first game or will not have in this first game, I guess, is Weston McKinney. It sounds like he's not going to be able to play. Uh, he's really a, a really solid creative force from from midfield and and that could be, in theory, a big miss. It kind of also depends on how they decide to deploy. Uh, how they decide to deploy Aronson. Uh, Aronson has been this incredible surprise this year uh, as a 21-year-old playing for Leeds in in the Premier League. It, he's just lit it up. I mean, he's been exceptional. And so, how they decide to deploy him, and I've seen. Some of the U.S. formations calling for him to be in central midfield, that could work. You know, he's a little bit he's a little bit small to be pushing around for possession in a three-man midfield, uh, and so I'd love to see him on a wing. But um, I also think that Gio Reyna probably needs to be on the field, and I think that he's going to get bullied as well. And so it's it's kind of a difficult thing. So you might you might see some some play where you've got either either that Aronson or the Gio Reyna in midfield just to kind of help out with a little bit of the uh, the creative play and transition. The U.S. is a team that really likes to, uh, just on the international stage, they really like to absorb pressure and then counter. And so they like to play very quickly in transition. And that is something that typically bodes well in international tournaments. Uh, it takes a lot of practice to, to, to carry out successful high press, high intensity, high possession tactics. That takes a lot of team cohesion and months and months of practicing together. Uh, and so, you know, the fact that they already play that way is, is probably more a positive than a negative. But where it can come to bite you is that you only end up beating the lesser teams by a goal. You know, it's, if, if that in some cases. So, uh, Wales is a team that, on paper, we are probably better than. But they also have this incredible magician named Gareth Bale who uh, looks like he's thinking about golf for most of the game and then scores two goals in stoppage time. So it's it's a difficult game because of players like that. Uh, Bale's not what he was a few years ago when he sent Liverpool home crying from a Champions League final, but easy. Uh, <laughs> but he's still very capable of scoring, you know, a, an insane free kick or, or sending somebody in or uh, hitting something on a half volley and and just <laughs> he's a magician. He's a freaking magician. <clears throat> I think the 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 hardest he plays is when he's playing internationally. Yeah. Otherwise, he looks like he'd rather be playing golf. But when he's playing for Wales, he cares. Yeah. Um, so that'll be that'll be kind of fun to to watch too. So. Yeah. Uh, as far as like the big stars, everybody knows the Christian Pulisic of the world. I mean, he's obviously an incredible, incredible player. Uh, only twenty four years old, already has fifty caps. Fifty caps being fifty appearances for the U.S. international team, so that's just ridiculous. Oh yeah, um, there is only one other, two other players that have more caps than him in the U.S. team: Kellen Acosta, who plays for L.A., 
in the MLS. And then DeAndre Yedlin. Yeah. Who uh, is the only player on this U.S. roster that has been to a World Cup. Wow. Uh, so that's a big deal. He's not going to start. DeAndre Yedlin, obviously, I, I have a soft spot for him, uh, having been a Newcastle player for a couple of seasons. <clears throat> Played an important role. So it was a little bit limited. Uh, you know, but he did his part. It was He got sent out to pasture at the right time, sent back to the MLS, uh, now plays in Miami. But uh, 74 caps for DeAndre Yedlin. So this will be his second World Cup, and he's the only player on that team uh, that, that has been to a World Cup. Uh, I was listening to some other guys that were commenting on just the U.S. camp and kind of the feeling there right now uh, in, in Qatar. And I think one of the things that I thought was pretty interesting is they said it's such a young squad, which is true. I mean, you've got – I don't think there's anybody over 30 except for the goalkeepers. Like you've got Aaron Long, okay? So Aaron Long is, is, a, is another defender. Everyone else is under 30. Everybody that's probably going to start in that front three – Likely starters, Josh Sargent, who plays Norwich, mm-hmm. Christian Pulisic, and Timothy Weah, who, if you don't know anything about Timothy Weah, Google him. What in the world? <laughs> His dad was a Balloon d'Or winner and then president of Liberia. Like, what in the world? So, Timothy Weah, Google him. Fascinating story. Uh, he's already got 24 caps. So, there's some good experience there, and those will be the likely front three, but they're 22, 22, 24. Man. So, you're going to have a team that's captained by like a 23 or 24 year old, probably Pulisic. He's captained a lot of the most recent international games. Uh, but I've listened to some other people saying that, you know, in some respects it feels like they just don't understand how big the stage is in a really good way. And so yeah. I think that it could almost play to their, to their benefit. You know, uh, this is a very strange world cup. People need to understand that. I can't, I don't think there ever has been. And if there has been, I don't remember. It hasn't been in our lifetime. A World Cup played in the winter, not in the summer. So it's weird for a lot of reasons because you have, you know, people not ending their club season and then having a couple of weeks where they, you know, get to warm up and get to get acclimated to the squad and kind of put in tactics. These guys left their club teams a week ago. They played a game a week ago. And so they're all coming in and, and they've got three, four days of practice together. And then they're, they're kicking off a tournament. And then when they're done with that tournament, they're right back into the middle of their club seasons throughout, uh, throughout Europe. So the one advantage that the U S has is that the MLS season actually just ended. And so that's a big deal in some respects. Like you've got some guys that are coming off a season that uh, are done with that season and don't have to think about their clubs at all. They can just focus on world cup play. And as far below as the MLS is from a, a level of play perspective, uh, it, it could it could be a benefit to them uh, to have some guys that are that are done with their clubs uh, and able to focus fully on the tournament and, and not have anything in the back of their head that's that's Champions League or Cup play or you know Premier League tables uh, and, and that, that really could end up being a positive for them. So it's a little bit unprecedented in that respect. Yeah, those are great points. And you were mentioning this game earlier, but the last World Cup game the United States played was against Belgium in 2014, right? Yep. So, funny story about that game. I watched the first half. Then I had to go back to work. And so, naturally, I pulled the game up on my phone and put it... Just understand I was I was younger and not as wise. I pulled the game up and put it on my dashboard in front of my speedometer in the car. <laughs> and so as I'm driving, Belgium takes the lead, and then Belgium scores again. And this is in overtime, of course. And then the U.S. scores a goal. And I rear-ended the lady in her minivan. Oh, no! <laughs> I was cheering. I was so excited. <laughs> I just could not focus on driving, and so I rear-ended a lady in her minivan during that Belgium game. You're a terrible person. And I stayed in my car, fumbling around for insurance until the final whistle, and then I got out and and gave her my insurance. But, yeah, sorry if you're listening, lady in the minivan. Uh, Now you know why I was distracted. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Big deal. If this podcast goes big, um, 
Thankfully, I think the statute of limitations has expired for uh, your insurance company to pull that. Well, maybe, maybe we'll get like a progressive sponsorship or something. You know, that'd be yeah. ideal. I'll replace Flow. Yeah, I think you're going to replace okay. Mayhem. <laughs> there you go. That's probably the more likely. Yep, probably the more likely. All right. Well, we'll be back in a couple days, and uh, we might uh, might be able to squeeze off a, a little short recap of, of tomorrow's game. Although I don't think it's going to be terribly exciting. Uh, but, yeah, we'll be back on Monday to debrief those three games and, and talk through the slate of games that's coming the rest of the week. Great talking to you, Owen. All right. Thank you, Josh. I'll see you later. Bye.